Hello, Playdate. Welcome to a very special episode of the Hello, Playdate podcast. This is not Don, nor is it Nick, but it is Ryan. And we are so glad that you've joined us here for our very first interview episode. So for our very first interview, I reached out to Krista Mergen of Panic, who does their videos and podcasts. And you've probably heard me mention before how enamored I am with the podcast that's being produced for the Playdate by Panic. Essentially, Krista is putting together these very well-produced episodes. The first one talked about the history of the Playdate and how it came to be through this 10-year iterative process. But subsequent episodes have been talking to the development teams of the Season 1 Playdate games. And as a fellow podcaster, I was just really impressed with what Krista was putting together. So I reached out to her and asked her if she'd be willing to chat with us here at the Hello Playdate podcast. And that's exactly what you're going to hear today. So without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome Krista Mergen. Krista, welcome to the Hello Playdate podcast. It's uh, really great to have you here after listening to your tremendous podcast, the official Playdate podcast for Panic that you produce. Can you just give our audience a little introduction to you and your role at Panic? Hi, sure. Ryan, it's so great to be here. Thanks. So my name is Krista Mergen, and I make videos and now podcast at Panic, the makers of Playdate. And how long have you been with them now? Um, I've been with Panic officially since uh, February 2018. Um, I started on contract um, in the fall of 2017, and then they brought me on full-time in 2018. Maybe you could give us a brief summary of your pre-Panic occupational trajectory and how that brought you to Panic in 2017, 2018, it sounds like. Sure. I've actually wanted to work for Panic since... um, my husband, Nevin, began working here in like 2008. I was mm. like, this company is amazing. So I, um, back at that time, I worked at an animation studio here in Portland, Oregon. Mm. Um, and I used this um, FTP client uh, called Transmit to upload really large video files for our clients. Um, and I was like, wow, you know, like these people, like they just have like this really nice attention to detail for this, like just, you know, Mac app that I use for transferring files. And then my husband began working there and um, I met uh, Cable and Steven um, and some other folks who worked at Panic and just, it just seemed like such a great company. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Um, but, you know, I was like, there's no role for me at that company at all because they have a designer um, who is my husband. Um, and then, um, you know, I was making videos at the time, but then the iPhone came out um, and well, it had been out, but um, I sort of like got the idea like, oh, I could design for, for the iPhone. Um, and so I kind of left video and I worked for a Mac, um, software company designing Mac mm. apps. I'm actually using an application that I designed a version of, um, by Rogue Amoeba called Audio Hijack. So I worked for Rogue Amoeba for like six years. Um, and then I left and, um, co-founded a, like an internet startup, um, company. We made, um, some uh, commenting software for news organizations. It's like an untrollable commenting platform, Um, but it didn't pan out after like two and a half years um, that folded. And then I was like, oh, I need need a new gig. 
And what do I want to do? And I was like, you know, I'm done designing software for a while. I just want to go back to making videos because I have a great time doing that. And so I thought I would just pitch different companies um, with my explainer and marketing tutorial video um, shops. And uh, I was like, well, obviously I have to pitch Panic. Mm -hmm. Um, So but I figured then I would just work on contracts with different tech companies in Portland. But um, what ended up happening is I made some videos for Panic and then eventually they're like, well, well, why don't you just join our team full time? Um, And so I did. And a little while after that, I was like, it would be so great to have a Panic podcast. And they let me do that. (laughs) That's so Um, cool. (laughs) I know. It's still wild to me that they they let me make a podcast. And so I made six episodes of the Panic podcast, which I call season one. There will hopefully be a season two someday. but people really seem to enjoy it. And I was like, well, why don't I make a podcast for Playdate? And everyone loved that idea. But when I decided to do that, there were only 12 games in season one. So I was like, I'll do an episode for every game. And now there are 24 games and I'm still doing an episode for every game. So now I mostly make podcasts. That was a very long winded, um, you know, meandering storyline of how I got to my job at Panic. But that's that's, uh, that's great. That's it's cool. It sounds like you've got some animation and software development uh skills in your in your skill set is that right yeah well so i minored i minored in graphic design and majored in film production um and hubris just led me to say i can design software (laughs) um and so i did and um yeah and it went pretty well for me honestly but then um yeah, when I worked at um, the company that I co-founded, I designed all the software and um, and that also involved HTML and CSS. Unfortunately, when I was designing for you know Mac apps, um, it was it was more visual design and less um, less code, well, zero coding, um, and only a little bit of coding with the um, the, the the internet company. But uh, I don't like it. Turns out. <laughs> I don't, don't want to do that anymore. I don't ever want to write HTML and CSS uh, as a full-time job ever again. Amen. I can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I've had experience myself enough to know that I don't want to do it at all. Right. No, no, so I, I get the feeling from the official Playdate podcast, which you host and produce, that you've not only had considerable experience with the Playdate, but that you genuinely enjoy it. Like I get the oh, sense yeah. that this is more than like just a job or a run-of-the-mill paid marketing position for you. And uh, to that end, I was hoping maybe you could talk to us about when you were first introduced to the play date. Like what stage of that 10 year iterative cycle was it in at that point? And how has your relationship with the play date evolved since then? Um, so I've been super excited about it from the start. And yeah, definitely the podcast grew out of just like, I'm excited about this thing. I'm excited about all these amazing people who are making games for it. Um, I'm not a developer, but I love to hear about the process. I love to talk with people about their process of making and developing video games. Um, and the first time I saw Playdate, I saw a very, very early version of it. So remember, so my husband has worked there since like 2008. Um, so I knew about it from the very beginning um, when it was just like, hey, Cable wants to make this this thing as like a, um, a celebratory like device to give to people for like our 15th anniversary of the company. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And he's like, you remember those, you know, like little handheld um, games? And I was like, oh yeah, I totally 
had some of those and that was super fun. It's like, oh man, they would make those. And then he was like, yeah, but then it could like switch games. And the initial version was um, much more similar to those where it was like static graphics. And you're like, maybe like, I, I think the earliest game that I um, I played or like prototype of a game that I played on like a, um, a simulator was like moving a little transmit truck, like back and forth to avoid obstacles that were coming at you on a road type of deal. And like, I think you had to like pick up um, packages and things. It was sort of like, you know, transmit the file transfer game, like as a trucking game. Um, and uh, yeah, um, as a, as a game and watch game. Um, but on this, you know, like then when I saw the screen, I was like, oh, this is what it actually looks like. And I, and I think from there, they're like, this has to be more complicated than just those game and watch style games. So what are we going to do with this thing? Um, but yeah, so I, I saw very early physical version that was basically like the screen and some buttons on like a board. Um, what year would you say like housing? What, what year would you that? say that was? I'm, I'm 20, guessing prior like to you joining the team. Okay. Oh yeah. It was definitely, it was way prior to me joining the team. This is just like Nevin was showing me something that he made. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say it was like 2014, okay. um, maybe 2015. 20 I don't know yeah it was a while ago um I think our son had just been born so it was probably 2014 okay, okay. that's a good um, approximation <laughs> my, yeah my, my timeline is fuzzy um yeah and then um there was a, a very far along prototype of um of a game and of the device at a holiday party one year and this was still prior to me working at panic and I think that was like the probably the 2016 like holiday party that they had. And they, um, I believe it was Greg and Nevin who had made this game where it was like, um, you were like Santa on a sleigh and like controlling um, Santa going up and down and like, you know, avoiding obstacles and like dropping presents off and stuff like that. Was that um, functioning via the crank at that point? Yes. Yeah. You huh. were controlling the sleighs up and down movement with the, with the crank. Um, and then I, I believe like dropping off presents with like the A and B buttons and, and it was a physical like prototype them with, um, with a case, um, hmm. but not as, you know, polished or refined as, as current Playdate is. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was pretty cool. And, and it's, it's wild to think about because I remember then it was like, yeah, this is so close to being like production ready. <laughs> and boy, did we not know how, um, how many, uh, I don't know, obstacles there would there would be to encounter on the way um so yeah hardware is is uh hard it's a big challenge and it turned out to, there were a lot of um different things that came up between you know getting something getting something to like 90 percent of the way there to 100 percent. i just felt like that timeline slowed way down that last 10 percent just really took a long time to to get everything right and you know the pandemic didn't help Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I became familiar with you through the official Playdate podcast that you produce. And uh, you've, like you said, started documenting conversations with the designers of season one game releases and even put together a deep dive history of Playdate's decade long multi iterative process from its initial concept of starting out as a simple clock to a more ambitious, dedicated handheld device, like you mentioned, sort of akin to those Nintendo Game & Watch games, to the multi-game platform it eventually became and is today. 
Um, and I've told you this privately, but as a fellow podcaster, I feel like I can see the mountains of time and scripting and editing and really just a labor of love that goes into each one of these episodes. And I was wondering if you can sort of pull back the curtain on your creative process for assembling these podcast episodes. Like, what does that look like for you on a, a bi-weekly basis? <laughs> oh, sure. Um, so, well, it started with, so the idea, you know, like the podcast, um, it began when I was like, oh, I should like just interview you all. Like people had just come back from Malaysia in like 2018. I was like, I should get some interviews of like your, um, you know, like what's going on just for like, you know, documentation purposes. And I think this was, yeah, I think this was the thing that led me to create the panic podcast in the first place. I was just like, I'll just get some audio and maybe I'll make a little like video montage of at some point with this as like voiceover. Um, but anyway, uh, jumping forward in time to my current iterative process, um, what I do like to do um, for the developer interviews is I like to play the game first, obviously, um, and really get a, a feel for it. And then, um, you know, just come up with questions. And, and it's, you know, I often ask the same questions, you know, like, um, can you tell me that about yourself? Tell me, you know, the name of the game. Tell me how you had the idea. Give me a description of the game. How did you hear about Playdate? Um, that kind of thing. But then there's, you know, there are always like game specific um, questions that arise from, you know, having played the game. Um, I often want like tips and tricks might just for myself, like, how can I get better at this? Um, I have some questions about that at the end for you. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I don't want to spoil anything. So, you know, I try not to get like too specific about like, if it's a puzzle game, like specific puzzles, like how do you solve that or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just going depth on just like questions I have um, that I think other people might find interesting. And then I like to just ask about, well, what was your process like? What was challenging? What was fun? Um, would you make more Playdate games? That kind of thing. And so then I end up with all of this tape because I love podcasts, but I really am an NPR nerd and I prefer narrative scripted um, podcasts that start from interviews, but then, you know, basically are like audio collage. Um, like I like to make a story um, and I try to have, you know, kind of an arc um, to things um, really sort of, I don't know, make it streamline and make it make sense. So then um, I just like to kick back and like listen to the tape a few times and just sort of feel like, you know, what are, what are sort of like things to pull out? Like, how do I want to start framing this? Um, and then I typically just pull out like the quotes that I know I want to use and kind of trim them up, rem remove most of the ums and ahs and all of the normal things we uh, do when we're speaking um, like that, that, that make things, um, you know, that's how we speak in real life. But then if you're creating a story, you want to trim a lot of those things out and um, try to create as many um, full sentences as possible that don't have filler words in them. And then I just start like moving the pieces around kind of, and then I, um, I write out my, you know, script in between, you know, what people are saying. Um, so you don't hear my actual question. Sometimes I will re-record myself asking the question just later so that it's like in the same, it sounds the same as the rest of my narration, but typically um, I'm just audio collaging these interviews together. Um, yeah. And then I add, you know, music and sound effects as needed. And it's just a lot of fun. 
It sounds like a lot of fun and a ton of time. How, mu how much time would you say goes into a more traditional season one game developer interview type of episode? Like not counting that first, this is how the play date came to be, 90 minute monster that you put together, oh, yeah, but like <laughs> the, uh, the developer interviews. Developer interviews, gosh, I would say they're probably like... 20 hours of work, like work, actually, like actual work time. But so much of, I don't know, it's hard to say because so much of it is just like, I'm going to take a walk and like think about it, or like I'm going to take a walk and listen to the tape again. Um, so it's like, is that part of the work? I mean, it is, but it's a creative process. So I don't know. It could be, yeah, it could be 20 hours, it could be 15. It just kind of depends too on, on, how solid a grasp of um, a plan I have, I guess, like from the beginning. And because some episodes, I definitely know how I want to form them and others, I'm like, oh, what am I gonna do with this tape? And um, but do you, so, I don't know, it depends. <laughs> that's, that, as a creative person, uh, I feel like that's uh, rare to find in an employer that will say, yes, take the time to craft this thing that requires thought like it's not just go 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 busy work make a thing hurry up now where's the next one but it sounds like and you can correct me if i'm wrong that you have the space to really construct and think about these things at least that's what it appears in the final product because it's really good i, I really love listening to what you put together but yeah is that somewhat accurate or what would you say oh, yeah. to that Definitely. And that is so kind. Thank you so much for all the kind words. But um, yeah, I mean, I would just say panic is amazing. They're just, mm. just so, um, so different from, I feel most companies, especially software companies where there tends to be this culture of it's always crunch time and we're always trying to make <laughs> yeah. it to the next, you know, iteration. And like, we got this release date on the horizon and you gotta, you know, push your changes to get, ASAP and get, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm using like my, my bro voice, but um, <laughs> panic is the opposite of that. And I love their sort of philosophy is um, what if this wasn't really just a software company? What if it's just a bunch of really smart, creative, capable people in a room and they make cool stuff and whatever they need to do, they do it. And I think you can really see that in sort of our evolution from, you know, making tools for software developers to publishing games, to creating a handheld gaming device that gives you a season of games from interesting developers and also really, really encourages you to make your own games um, either on our, our web-based um, platform that's that's more entry level and, and um, approachable for all or the full SDK. Um, that's also fairly approachable in terms of like game development resources. Um, but yeah, I just feel like like Panic's ethos is, you know, make the best possible version of a thing that you can. Um, you do have to balance that with time. Like obviously if I was taking, you know, three months for each episode that would, be a little too long, but, um, you know, two weeks in between each one is, um, fair, I feel. Um, <laughs> and I've also been working on it for a long time. I I've done a lot. I did a lot of the, um, the interviews actually like last year. Mm. Um, and so I have interviews for everyone and like, you know, at the time that I did the interview, I would start pulling out quotes and stuff, but, um, but the episode, like the episodes aren't really 
finished and a finished date until like a couple of weeks before they come out. <laughs> okay. That was going to be my next question is how far ahead of schedule have you completed episodes? Like, are you several ahead, one ahead, zero ahead? Like where, where are you at in terms of release schedule? Um, I'm at, I'm one ahead at this point. And so okay. like, I'm just, you know, trying to stay um, <laughs> that way. If I'm always like one step ahead of my, um, my deadline, that's great. Um, so I do have like a slight cushion of, of time, which I always need. Cause I don't know, time gets away from me. I'm, um, kind of time blind. Um, I like to say so, you know, but some things it's, it, you know, when it's a creative process, some things may, um, just come together really quickly and other things take more time than you think. So, um, so it's great to have, you know, extra, extra space in which to work. So that kind of dovetails into my next question, which is, uh, it seems like you've settled into this like every other week release schedule. Is that going to persist for the duration of the season one games? And if so, is there any commitment from Panic to allow you to continue producing episodes beyond that? Yes. So, um, yes. So my plan, as long as I, you know, don't, uh, fall behind or, um, you know, something catastrophic doesn't happen. My plan is to just keep delivering these episodes, um, every two weeks and it won't just be interviews with developers. I have, I have a couple other, you know, sort of like special episodes, um, in the hopper. So, um, and those will come more towards the end of the season. Although I might, I might mix it up and like put one in the middle. I don't know. Anyway. Um, for now, I have I have a few other sort of like bonus episodes planned for the end of the season. Um, and yeah, I just feel like Panic is so generous with their time. They're just like, I don't want to, it's not like just do whatever the heck you want to do. But um, at the same time, they're just so supportive of like, oh, yes, you're, you know, this is a cool thing. You're doing well. Keep doing it, um, which <laughs> I love. But then they're also, you know, I have to make um, space for the the videos. So I create the Playdate update videos, if you've seen those. Mm -hmm. um, and that's super fun. So that the, that process um, takes a while, too, because it's I, I write a script and then I hand it over to Cable. Um, he edits the script, um, passes it back to me. I do the, you know, um, production planning and then I uh, film those and um, edit them and animate them. And it takes, you know, it takes a while. Although um, this last one didn't take as long because it was only like five minutes, but I, I want to do more of those like quick little playdate updates, like here's what's going on. Um, so we talked a bit about catalog in this last playdate update. So I'm excited to um, talk more about that in a future playdate update when we have more to say about it. So is, um, you is know, that I have to balance that with the podcast. Is that the feature where we're going to be able to make in playdate game purchases? Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are that's you, the sort of like curated store, basically. Are you able to say anything more about that at this point? <laughs> I can't. Um, and it's not even, it's not even that I'm not allowed. It's just that um, we like, we gave the information that we had basically in the play update. Mm -hmm. um, and there isn't, because we're still developing it and we're still working it out um, and figuring out how it's going to work um, for us and for developers and how the app is going to work. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's a process and, uh, when I have more to tell, I will. Okay. Um, Sounds in great. Video form. Yeah. <laughs> so there are a lot 
of incredible season one games that have been released on the play date so far. And at this point, I only have about half of the two dozen season one games, but one of my personal favorites is a week one release and that's Whitewater Wipeout. And in your episode with Chuhai Labs, the designer mentioned that, uh, actually, I think you mentioned that Chuhai Labs is already hard at work on the follow-up snowboarding game and mm-hmm. that you might even favor it over Whitewater Wipeout. So please, can you tell me anything about that <laughs> next release? Like how does the gameplay differ from Whitewater Wipeout and like what elements are you finding more compelling? Well, so I'm, I'm a snowboarder. And so that just mm. appeals to me from the outset. And um, so you're snowboarding, you, you know, you have obstacles, but you're also like racing down this mountain and you're doing like sweet tricks, which I cannot do in real life. I can, <laughs> like, sometimes I can jump and even land, but mostly I just go down the mountain. Um, but the graphics are really awesome. Like mm. they are in Whitewater Wipeout. Um, yeah. I feel like, I don't know, something about the... Um, the crank mechanic with the snowboard is even better than the surfboard because hmm. the surfboard, you know, like you're going up and down like this, but the snowboard, you're, you're like, you know, slalom, slaloming back and forth, like you're, you're carving back and forth and, um, and then you're, you know, cranking to, um, to do tricks. And the only thing that's, you know, hard is like to do the really cool things you have to like crank and then quickly like hit a and B buttons at the same time, which hmm. for me can be a challenge. Um, but yeah, it has, it has a lot of like, overlap I would say gameplay wise with whitewater wipeout but um I just found it even more fun um than that so I don't know I but and I just played like an early version of it um that was like like here guys like try a demo um which is like oh yes I will do that yeah yeah a a couple things I wanted to touch on there first you said that the graphics are maybe even better than whitewater wipeout uh which impresses me because I was quite impressed with Whitewater Wipeout. There's a number of things on there that I mentioned on our our very first podcast, like the way that the wave curls over and makes it look like there's some depth and kind of casts a shadow uh, to like the cascading water of the wave itself. And I was very interested to hear the designers and artists talk about how they used 3D models initially, but then converted those to 2D pixel art, uh, because I, I kept looking at that game before I heard that episode, wondering how in the world they did this, because it looked like you were seeing this surfer from multiple angles, but it's a bunch of pixels. So what's going on there? So that was really enlightening for me to hear and exciting for me to hear that uh, the snowboarding game might even surpass that in terms of graphics. So you've got me excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The character too, of the snowboarder itself is, um, even more like detailed and just mm. like the, the, all of the sprites that make up the snowboarder. I just feel like you see it in, in like every single angle. And, um, mm. I mean, you, you do, you do in the surfing game as well, but, um, yeah, it's just, it is kind of amazing. It's like, how did they do that in one bit, you know, pixel art? Um, but it makes sense that it was, um, that they started with, um, you know, 3D software. Um, yeah, so that artist is really cool. I'm guessing they're using a similar technique for the snowboarding game. If you say you're able to see multiple angles of your player, is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the, the artist, I think did a similar, like he has a process now hmm. um, that he, that he does where it starts in 3D and then he um, translates it to, to one bit pixel art, which is still like, you know, 
no small feat. Um, cause yeah, I mean, just like making the gradation for the wave, um, when you have, you know, two colors, black and white, it's just, yeah, that's really, it's really impressive. Yeah. Agreed. Um, has panic made any commitment to having it a part of season two, or are they going to toss it in this catalog and have it available for purchase? I don't know. If I had to guess, I would say it would be um, a catalog release because I think it will be ready before um, season two, but don't hold me to that. I'm this is, I'm not speaking officially. I'm just guessing um, from my own, um, from what I've seen. Cause I mean, it was, it, when I played it, it seemed pretty far along um, and awesome. And it was, Ooh, this is like, you could play this soon. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know what the plan is though uh, there. I would okay. imagine it would be just available or they can, I mean, this is the great thing about panic too. It's so um, they're so open and they want hmm. it to be open. And so they, they, they're not like you have to sell through us. It's like, mm-hmm. if, if Chuhai decides they want to sell it, they can just like sell it on their website or sell yeah. it on itch or like yep. whatever. Um, Cause you can always sideload a game anywhere. And I just love that. Um, totally. It's I mean, incredible. not to toot our own horn, but um, I just, <laughs> There, I just think it's great, <laughs> you it know, is. because so many yeah. other platforms is like, it's all about locking in and you have to go through us and yep. uh, it's, I don't know, I think it's cool. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned that the snowboarding game might be ready before season two. Does that mean you guys have uh, an estimation on to when season two will be ready for release or available? No, I have no idea. (laughs) And I think, I think nobody knows. I mean, you know, time, what is time? (laughs) (laughs) We just, um, it's just so hard to plan. I mean, I know that we're, we're calling, um, we're doing like an open pitch call though. Um, I woke up to that this morning. Yeah. 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 I saw that on the, uh, the play date discord. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's very exciting. And, Another reason why Panic seems like such an incredible place is they're prioritizing underrepresented developers and trying to help newcomers uh, get a published game under their belt. And I just think that's so amazing. I I know that happened with um, uh, uh, Sweet Baby Inc. and Mm -hmm. Lose Lose Your Marbles, Lost Your Marbles. Mm -hmm. Lost Your Marbles, Uh uh-huh. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I thought that was a really amazing thing for panic to do. They weren't just going out to, you know, the big boys and the regulars, but, uh, it looked like sweet baby anchor from sounded like from what I heard on your podcast that they very specifically pair experienced designers with up and coming designers and sort of help them through, uh, game development is, is that a reason why you sought them out or panic sought them out initially or, yeah, I mean, they, they Panic specifically wants um, everyone to be able to make video games. And there's, there's just such this gatekeeping thing in the games industry. And it's very sort of self-perpetuating in mm-hmm. terms of like um, social reproduction of, of sort of like people who are similar choose other people who are like them to mm-hmm. work on projects together. And it ends up excluding like, ton of people and it's sort of like this chicken and egg thing it's like you can you can get a job on a game if you've already created a game like successfully but like you can't you know so it's like you have to start somewhere um 
And so Panic um, really loved the, that Sweet Baby um, were, you know, creating these opportunities and, and sort of um, finding underrepresented people who are incredibly talented and sort of like, um, yeah, helping them get in, like get their credit out there on their first game to sort of like be able to go on to other things too. So um, yeah, yeah, we are all excited about that because um, yeah, we want more diversity in the, the games industry and working on that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, it's, it's almost like, you know, there was this, uh, ethos established, like you said, you got to work on a game to be on a game and how can you get that? It's almost like, you know, hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> like, and that, that was continuing for a long time until panic released the play date essentially. And it's so cool to see that panic is willing to step out of that mold and give up rights to, um, the game itself, you know, the developers keep the rights from my understanding, as well as rights to create uh, collateral for that game. Um, I, I think I saw that Panic can create collateral for a game, but then that collateral is theirs, but any collateral the developer wants to make is the developers. Is, is that essentially how it's working? That sounds right. I actually don't know <laughs> all okay. of the like ins and outs of... Um like con contract details and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, Panic is just like, you do, it's your game, you know, like do what you want to do. Like um, Chuhai just uh, released a an awesome um, tank top for Whitewater Wipeout. I don't know if you saw this. Oh. I was like, this is the best merch. <laughs> um, I ordered one. Uh, actually, Nevin ordered one too. Oh. I can't wait till they arrive. At the, it was like a pre-order. So I don't know when they're going to arrive, but we're going to wear our like, rad 80s uh tank tops and jorts and like picture <laughs> on the internet probably so please look forward to that i um, cannot but yeah, tell you so it's sort of like <laughs> i cannot tell you how much i want one of those except for the fact that i'm a middle-aged dad and i don't think i can pull <laughs> off a tank top anymore so please, no you can please do it just <laughs> make a <t> <laughs> i beg of you um no but i love that um yeah. And, you know, it's like panic doesn't get a piece of that. And why would we, um, it's not our, our thing, but, um, I don't yeah. know. That's and the, cool. the art and design on that t-shirt or oh tank top God. rather is incredible. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It is so good. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Cool. Well, is there anything else that you want to let listeners know about that, uh, you, you want to, find more ears for, um, you know, really, I just want to direct people toward your podcast, uh, because I feel like it's being done so incredibly well. It's just laser focused and honed to all get out, but feels incredibly natural. And you feel like a very genuine, approachable, knowledgeable person putting this all together. And I mentioned that for your, the, uh, interstitial audio that you put in there into the interviews. It just, it all flows so well. And I look forward to each new episode. So anyway, all that to say, great job. And <laughs> do you have anything Thanks. else that you'd like to say to our listeners? Thanks so much. You're so kind. Um, no, I mean, you know, just if you would like to, uh, please listen to the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's the hard sell. Um, <laughs> There'll be a link in the show notes. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, the Playdate podcast. I'm having a lot of fun with it. And I hope that people enjoy it. I think, um, 
yeah, I don't know. I think people enjoy hearing the development stories. Um, and so I'm happy to, to make those. Um, oh, so you've been working on a game. I, so I just saw this, like, right. I just came from a workout and I saw your email, like right before we jumped on the call. Um, but this looks cool. So you've been making something in pulp. Yes. Yeah. I've been having a lot of fun with that. I'm, I'm a comic artist and I love gaming and I've done gaming podcasts before. So this is all, you know, kind of coming together. Um, but I have a large aversion to coding. <laughs> and so I hopped onto pulp, not thinking much of anything, but I'm like, Oh, okay. I, I can make something in eight by eight pixels. That's interesting. Okay. I can puzzle these together. That is also interesting. Oh, there's some really brief uh, actions that can happen. That's interesting too. And so it just kept like leading me down the rabbit hole. And now I'm I'm talking with uh, one of the other co-hosts of this podcast. His name is Nick Baldridge, who is far more uh, familiar with coding than I am. And so I have a feeling I'll be asking him some questions about how to how to make things do things <laughs> in that mm -hmm. game. But I've been having a ton of fun making art for that and coming up with a, a concept and a storyline for it. So we'll, we'll see if anything comes of it. I just want to make something tiny and fun. Um, I don't know if you've uh, caught wind of a game called Tochi. Um, oh, I it's don't sort know of, if I've seen that one yet. It's sort of a dungeon crawler, Legend of Zelda, but on a much smaller scale. Uh, and I, I don't know for sure, but I think it was made in pulp. It looks very pulpy and, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it, it requires maybe five to 10 minutes of time. And then you complete that game. And, oh, cool. uh, that was like a nice parental <laughs> way of experiencing a, a game that you don't have to sink a bunch of time into. Cause as a parent, I just don't have that much time anymore. Uh, but I'd love to make something like that. And uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Oh, but thank awesome. you for those kind oh. words. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's so exciting to see just how many games there are out there. And just the fact that like, I can't even keep track of them all anymore is incredible. Right. Because, yes. um, you know, for a long time, it was like, I knew all of the games that were available, and I played them all. And um, and now that, you know, Pulp is open to everyone and the SDK is available to everyone. It's suddenly like I'm just like randomly seeing, you know, screenshots of games I had never seen before go by on Twitter. And I'm like, oh, what's that? I haven't seen yeah. that. Yeah. So that's really neat to see. I just I love it. Totally. Um, and but I... cool. Well, send me um, send me your game eventually when it's available. And I'll, OK, I'll I'd love it. to. <laughs> yeah. Um, very cool. Well, that's probably a fine place to wrap up. So Krista, thank you so much for giving us your time today. I super appreciate it and hope we can direct a few more ears your way. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you again for having me. This is super nice. And thank you again for all the, the kind words. Krista, thanks again for joining us on this very special first interview episode of the Hello Playdate podcast. It was really a pleasure talking with you, and I look forward to many more of your podcasts. Uh, keep up the great work. And just for posterity's sake, this interview was recorded on June 3rd, 2022, and first aired on June 7th, 2022. 
If you would like to get in touch with us at the Hello Playdate podcast, you can do so via email at helloplaydatepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at hellopdpodcast, Instagram, we are helloplaydate, website is playdatepodcast.com. We also have a Discord. If you're interested in that, just contact us on one of the aforementioned places, or you can even give us a call on the Bingo's tip line, which is 724-BINGOS1, that's 724 4671. Yes, that really is a phone number you can call and leave us a message if you like. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you in just a couple days for another regularly planned episode. Behind the scenes, tips and tricks. <laughs> All right. Are you okay to chat tips for whitewater wipeout? Oh, sure. sure. <laughs> that is my jam. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whenever I have a spare couple minutes, uh, you know, waiting for my son at school or whatever, that's, that's the game I'm playing. Um, oh, nice. And I am sort of maxing out at like around half a million or so. Oh, wow. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I don't know where you're at or what sort of tips uh, am, and tricks you've got. <laughs> actually, I should go like get my plate. It's it's downstairs, but um, no, you have far exceeded my uh, <laughs> point score. So I don't know that I would have any viable tips for you. Um, okay. You know, it's like crank as many times as you can. Try to land straight. Um, try yep. to hit the A and B buttons while you're in the air to get like cool like bonus points. Um, but yeah, it sounds like you have, you have uh, sur- far surpassed me. So I don't know um, that I could, I could offer you anything. So I'm not sure I knew about A and B buttons in the air to get yes. more points. So I, yeah, you I can, knew like, cause you can do, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, I, I knew about the pointing up on the D pad to like get more air. And then in order to spin faster left or right, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think I ever saw any tips down below to press A and B or what that might be used for. Yeah. Um, let me go. No, yeah. I don't know if that's like an official thing, but, um, that was a tip that Giles gave me. Huh. Um, and yeah. And I noticed like, oh yeah, I did get a few extra points when I did that. Cause it, you do a little like thing in the air. I'm like, oh, I look cool. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that was one of the, the tips that I got, but even, even so it sounds like you're, you have far exceeded me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, I was feeling, feeling okay about myself. I think I was in like the top 30 ish or so when I first nice. got my play date because, nice. uh, you know, my, my co-host and I were the, a few lucky so-and-sos who got in on group one of the play date. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but then I think as more people have received their play date and are getting better at games, now I'm still in the top 100, but like, you know, it's slipping. Nice. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to get those like million point scores that I'm seeing from people. And I just, wow, I don't know. I, I, so I was, <laughs> Hoping you might have some Jedi knowledge for me. (laughs) I don't. I think the, I think the secret probably to getting like the million point scores is to be able to sustain that flow state for a super long time. Um, And for me, it's sort of like I can get into it and then 
I don't know. I just get like knocked out of it somehow. Like I'll get distracted and then like, I don't know, it messes up, but um, like people that can really like Zen out, I think into it um, and just, I don't know, keep that same high level of, of um, reaction and attention uh, is, I don't know. I don't know. We should ask them, but <laughs> yeah. I'm not even in, I don't think I'm even in the top 100. So it's one okay. of the, one of the things I've noticed about the wave or each round is that there's a finite amount of wave, like it goes down eventually mm-hmm. and you can't mm-hmm. surf anymore. And mm-hmm. so I think, but I, I don't know for sure that, um, you know, I'm trying to like go up and down and up and down and then launch to get real high and mm-hmm. so I can land a quad but I'm starting to wonder if like I'm spending too much time riding the wave and riding it out and it's getting lower as I'm doing that. And maybe I need more triples or something, or it sounds like there's that A and B function that might yeah. be helpful. Um, yeah. So I, I'm not sure. Probably need to poke yeah, around at it I some was, more. Yeah. I was doing that a lot too, is like, sort of like, oh, I'm going to get, get up speed by going yeah. up and down on the wave. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you don't need to do it that much. I think you just need to do like a couple up down and then boo, just jump right up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, cause yeah, I think, it, and especially like when I was first playing, I was doing that a lot and then like just not doing tricks often enough, I think. And then like yeah. the, the wave curl would catch me. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Again, it's like, I don't, I don't know. I, I shouldn't be the one giving you tips. I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you encounter any of those million point surfers, let me know. I'd love to talk yeah. with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who are they? Let's find them. And right. zero one, two, three, their, six, five. <laughs> <laughs> There's very few names up there. It seems yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Krista, thank you again for humoring me with these <laughs> whitewater wipeout tips. And I'll let you know when this uh, interview is live, but thanks again for, okay, for being on here. Really appreciate oh, yeah. it. Thank you so much for having me. So you nice. got it. Keep up the great <laughs> nice work with you. the podcast. You too. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.